doing that. Uh, the children are dismissed to go with Lorna uh, to Children's Church. Uh, take your Bibles and open up to Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be starting a, a series uh, going through uh, the book of Colossians. I just think there's a, a lot of good stuff in, in that book for, for a, a church about growing, about walking in the Lord, uh, and really about who uh, Jesus uh, is. So uh, let's read Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 uh, through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always, give, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning uh, you would speak to us from your word, that we would uh, delight ourselves in you and you would uh, be faithful to your promises of, of ministering to us uh, as we open your word. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to be here. We need him to, to get into our heart and, and nudge us and be at work and, and cultivate growth. And so we ask, uh, Lord, just humbly before you now that you would be pleased uh, to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to ask maybe a question this morning. Uh, have you ever gotten a letter uh, from someone famous, uh, maybe, maybe a senator, uh, maybe you, you wrote a, a movie star and they sent you uh, an autographed uh, picture. Have you ever gotten a letter from someone famous uh, that you've never met? And how did it make you feel? When I was in college, I, we had an assignment, actually, where we had to write a letter to someone. It had to be a, a semi-formal letter to, to someone uh, who was well-known. And I picked a, a science fiction author uh, whom I had read a number of his books and had really uh, at one point in my life, I was trying to read everything uh, that he has written. Uh, I'd never achieved that goal, and he kept writing, so I don't know how far behind I am now. Uh, but I wrote him, not thinking anything would happen of it, and I just asked him casually a few questions, and he wrote me back. Um, and I was, I was surprised, actually, to get a letter in the mail that he took that I was basically just a fan, uh, and he took the time to, to respond. And I don't remember if it was a handwritten note, but I remember that it was, it was signed uh, by him. And he specifically uh, answered uh, one or two things that I'd asked him about being a science fiction writer. At one point in my life, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be neat to write a cool science fiction book? Some of you know that I'm kind of a science fiction nerd. And, and I thought, oh, that would be, that's a lot of work. But I thought, that'd be exciting. But I gave that up long ago. But the fact that he wrote me back and, and answered some of this, I just thought, wow. You know, here's a guy who doesn't know me. He took the time to, to invest a little bit of, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes, write me a little note, and, and he responded. I mean, this is a guy who, in certain circles, is famous. 
Imagine how the church at Colossae felt when the Apostle Paul, who has never met him, he did not go there and plant the church like he did some of the other church, like, like in Ephesus uh, or the church in Thessalonica or Corinth. And they got a letter from Paul. And not only did they get a letter, but Paul's excited to hear about them. And then Paul, who is, I'm sure, very busy in his ministry, conducting all these things, has lots of churches to worry about, says, by the way, guys, I'm praying for you. And not only does he say, I'm praying for you, but he says, I'm thankful for you. And, and I'm thankful for your pastor, Epaphras. So Paul doesn't even come off as sort of, well, gee, I, I wish I would have gotten there to plant that church. Or, well, you need to learn a few things from me because I'm the apostle. He says, I am so thankful that you've responded to the word. I'm so thankful that you've heard the word and that it's growing there. Can you imagine how those people felt? as Paul took the time to invest in them. It teaches us a lot about the value of being thankful for other believers. And I think it shows us what being thankful to God for other believers can do in our lives, but also in the life of the church. So our main point this morning is be thankful to God for the fruit of the gospel in others. When you see God working in other people, what is your response? And I think if we're all honest, sometimes we, we get a little bit jealous when, when we see God do something amazing and miraculous in someone else's life and we're having a bad day, sometimes we just go, man, I wish God would work in my life like that. But Paul wants us to be thankful. The Word of God wants us to be thankful for other believers. Look at verse 3, and this is kind of the main point of the whole sentence that Paul gets going here in verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Am I going to be a person who expresses thanks for others? Are we going to be a church that has an atmosphere of love, but has an atmosphere where we thank God for what He's doing in other people. And not only are we, are we going to thank God, but are we going to let people know as an encouragement to them, I thank God for what He's doing in your life. This passage also shows us what spiritual growth is like, and so it gives us some clues on what we should be looking for in spiritual growth, but particularly what we should be thankful for when we see it in the lives of others. So first this morning, gospel fruit produces a noticeable faith and love. And we should be thankful when we see in the lives of other people a a noticeable faith and love. And love, when they're responding to the word of God, Paul begins as one who is thankful to God and prays for the church. We've already read it, but look again, verse three. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I think I hinted at this already, but I can imagine Paul had a very busy schedule and he takes time praying for all the churches. And not just churches that he planted, not just the churches that he knew he was going to be ministering in, but churches that he heard about around the world. I think we start with this passage by asking a very simple question. What does your prayer life and my prayer life look like? 
sometimes we struggle just with having a prayer life. I think those of us that, that get to the, the point where we're able to be disciplined and have a regular prayer life, we struggle with the kinds of things that we put on our prayer list. I would venture a guess if we were to list these th- things that we pray for out, it, it, that our list would tilt heavy towards the side of requests. How often do we come in our lives with a litany of things that we need to ask God for? And rightly, we should ask God for things. But how many times then, if we were to whittle that list down more, do we focus on asking God for spiritual things and not just getting consumed with praying for someone's health or praying for uh, physical problems or finances or all of those things are good to pray for but do we also pray for the spiritual side and then even more as you whittle down your the prayer list that you have in your mind how much of your time is devoted to thanking God for what he's doing in your life and then even do you thank God for what he is doing in the lives of others I find even in my own life, it is so easy to pray for myself. It is so easy to pray for my family, pray for people that I know really well, problems that I know exist. It is much harder to be disciplined to open up the scope of my prayer life and pray for people I don't know. Pray for people that I've heard about that are growing in their faith. Pray for for others that I might not have contact with, but just even being thankful For other believers, it's so easy to come with my list of requests, even requests for them. But do I pause and say, thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives? It makes us more appreciative. I think it it motivates us even more to pray harder when we can pause and say, thank you, because I see what you have done. And now I'm coming before you and I'm going to ask for other things for them or for me, for spiritual growth. But I know that you've been faithful to your promises. And so I'm going to ask again. It's interesting that Paul and Timothy had heard of the church of Colossae, but it appears, and and we think it's right in understanding, that they had never actually been there. Uh, If you look at verse 4, he says, when we pray for you, and he says, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints. And if you want to flip over uh, to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for uh, for you and for those at Laodicea, which which was a neighboring town uh, where Paul had never been, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So he he labors, he he struggles for them, he has this emotional burden for them, and he's never met them. Here is a fledgling church, a a, a baby church. And Paul is excited for them. And he's thanking God for them. And he's saying, "I've, I've never been there and I'm just anxious to see what God will do in your midst, that you'll be a church. And he, and he says in Colossians 2, 2, that is, is knitted together in love. Do we have that same kind of anxiousness for our church? Do we have that same kind of burden on our, on our prayer life, thanking God and, and wrestling with God in prayer and saying, will you, Lord, see fit to be at work in our hearts? Even more as you hear of missionaries, as you hear of of church planters, do you have at least a few that you've maybe picked out and are are praying for by name? Maybe even someone you've never met, or maybe it's someone you know and they're ministering to someone you've never met. Just like Paul knew Epaphras, but he had never met the people that uh, that Epaphras is ministering to. 
Is our prayer life burdened with giving thanks? It became known then through the, through the world and through the ministry of Epaphras. It became known two things. One, that these, this church, these people gathering, were people of faith. They were people who had placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a spiritual miracle. We can get so caught up in what we do for God and how we share the gospel and what we say, and we need to never forget that when someone comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a spiritual miracle. You are seeing the hand of God at work, and we need to thank God when that happens. And then when a Christian comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to see them putting away certain sins, maybe not all at once, maybe it's a long struggle, but, but you see them turning and walking with the Lord. And, and then you see them loving people. Maybe even loving people that are hard to love. Maybe you see someone and, and you know they used to have a temper and they would have lashed out at someone who was annoying. And, and they turn that other cheek. And they show a little love. Maybe they bite their tongue and they don't blow up at someone. And you say, you know, that, that's just a step of love because I know they wouldn't have done that before. Do you thank God for those things? Love, genuine Christian love being cultivated in our midst is the work of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do do we really believe that? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit when love is is at work. It's a product of of a genuine faith and we should be concerned when someone says they're a Christian, but, but never moves on and, and begins to display love uh, and begins to show signs of growth. But, but when the gospel is at work, that's what happens. Things grow. Uh, my wife planted some potatoes out uh, right near the house. You might see a little green basket uh, in the one corner. and There's potatoes in there, and that's so you can pick the potatoes up really easy when you go to harvest them. They grow their roots down through. But we would be really concerned if at the end of the summer we go out there uh, and there's nothing there. There's no uh, potatoes, no roots. Something is wrong. And we would say, well, maybe we got bad potatoes that we put in there to grow. Or we'll say, well, maybe the ground here is really bad. But we're overjoyed when you get fresh vegetables, when you get beans and peas in your garden. And, and if you've ever had those freshness where you can pick them and put them right in your mouth and you just you, you salivate and go, mm, this is great. That is what it's like when we see spiritual growth. It's great. We thank God for those things because God is the one who does this. What fruit then? Notice two main things to take away from, from the passage. What fruit, what does fruit in a church look like people inside a church will measure a whole number of things Uh, how many people were there on a sunday how great was the music did you have a rock band did you have drums Uh, back in the day it was did you have an organ right what does god measure in the signs of a healthy church what is paul thanking god for there was faith and there was love as people were sharing the word of God and heard the word of God. So we can ask ourselves, am I sharing the word of the gospel? None of this would have got started in the church at at Colossae if Epaphras and and probably some others hadn't been there sharing the word of God. Am I growing in my faith? 
when we gather in, in church to worship God together, we want to hear God's Word. Hearing God's Word is, is like eating. You, you need a healthy diet to have a healthy spiritual life. If, if you uh, just go into your kitchen and, and all you eat is, is the potato chips and the ice cream, uh, you all know what is going to happen to you. It's, it's good for that night. And, and I'm at a point now in my life, I used to just be able to eat everything, and now I've got to watch a little bit. I also found out about a, a couple years ago that I used to be able to eat like two bowls of ice cream at like 11 o'clock at night and go right to bed. And, and I would snack from like 8 to 11. I, uh, there for a while, I, I started waking up in the morning and I felt awful. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I felt like I hadn't slept. I just was run down. I was drinking extra coffee. Here, I needed to cut out that ice cream snack at 10 o'clock at night. If I'm going to eat ice cream, I, I can't eat two big bowls. And I've got to eat before 8 o'clock or around 8. And I tell you that just to humorously illustrate what you put in will affect the results that you get. Epaphras ministered the word of God, the gospel, the truth. And out of that, faith grew. And our faith will grow if we feed on the word of God. We need to exercise as well. We need to have love in our midst. It's not just enough to come in on a Sunday, open our Bibles and say, this is great. I'm going to hear the word of God. I'm going to listen to it, to treat it like a lecture, and then walk out and say, okay, I'm done. We need love in the midst of all of us that are gathered here today. You know that you can eat a really healthy steak, and you can eat a lot of really healthy steak. But if you don't exercise or do something or at least get a little bit active, your body will, will wear down. And some of you, that's the struggle as we get older, right? Our, our knees start to ache more. We, we literally cannot uh, get around and do things. And so then we have to watch what we eat. Well, God doesn't want us to cut down on our spiritual diet. But if we don't exercise what we've learned through loving others, we become spiritually fat. It, loving others is, is, is kind of like going uh, to the gym. It's that good exercise that works together with the, the Word of God that is strengthening our faith. We exercise it then in love. That is what growth looks like. The second thing you, I want you to notice is, am I thankful when I see faith and love in other people? I don't know how many of you have seen recently the, the Planet Fitness commercials planet fitness is that gym that advertises themselves as not a gym and they don't want people to be intimidated so oftentimes the commercial has these really big buff guys the gym nuts who who we, we look at how fit they are and we's like i could never work out with those guys and then they they segue to their planet fitness thing and say well we don't have people like that in our gym because we don't want to intimidate you imagine what the church would be like if we were growing in faith, growing in, in love in some ways, and we were walking around showing off our muscles. Man, look at my faith, guys. Uh, look at this big gun of love here that I have for all of you. Aren't you so impressed with it? And we never actually are doing what Paul is doing. And rather than showing off our guns and intimidating people with our spiritual gym that gathers here on a Sunday, actually saying, you know, I'm not going to say I'm thankful for my faith and my love. 
I'm actually thankful for your faith and your love. And, and saying maybe to someone just privately, you know, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm so glad that you, you've stuck with us. I'm so glad what you've done in the life of this church. I'm so glad you're just here on Sundays. I know it's a struggle for you to get out here, to wake up in the mornings, uh, to, to not have that extra cup of coffee so you can get to church. When we're actually encouraging others, when we're sharing that encouraging... Look around maybe this morning or mentally look around the room and say, you know, when was the last time I complimented someone and told them I was glad they're here at church? You know, cheering people on, encouraging them, letting them know uh, they're praying, you're praying for them. It's like being on the sideline uh, of a marathon runner. And that runner comes by and he's worn down and he's tired and he's just like, you know, barely able to, to beat the air uh, just to get one step in front of the next step. And he comes around that bend and there there's people there and they, they've got the little bit of water and they're like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, just, you know, 20 more miles in the marathon. And, and suddenly, you know, they're energized a little bit and they're, and they're puffed up and, and not in a bad way. But, but they've got some fuel because they got encouragement and they felt love and they knew they could take it uh, the next mile or the next 10 miles or whatever race you're running. The Christian life is often like that. We need to know that people are praying for us and we need to tell other people we're praying for them. Not to puff ourselves, but so that we can be knitted together in genuine Christian love. Because that's what a church looks like when it grows. And that becomes contagious. Second, this morning, uh, we're going to keep moving here. We have faith. We have love. Paul often in the scriptures links three virtues together. Faith, hope, and love. And we see he does it in a number of different passages. Sometimes the order is a little different, but we see it here. We see in verse 4 that gospel fruit is grounded in the hope of heaven. So faith and love in the church are only meaningful because we have real hope. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he's saying, track the flow of thought, we thank God for you when we pray for you because we heard of your faith and love because of the hope that you have. Why was this faith and love growing? Why was it cultivated? Because the people of God had genuine hope. We have a a solid and firm foundation of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul tells us, flip over to chapter 3. Paul tells us in chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, meaning we are spiritually alive, just like Christ is physically alive, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ uh, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love to play little tricks on my kids. This is probably a bad thing to confess. And I love to sometimes get them to think and ask them, where is Jesus? Right now, where is Jesus? And, and the Sunday school answer, and, it, and it's right, I'm, I'm not disputing it, is Jesus is in my heart. 
spiritually through the Holy Spirit. The presence of Jesus is in me. I am united to Jesus. I am connected. And, and so, in a, you know, not physically, right, but, but spiritually he's in my heart. But where is Jesus? Bodily. Let me qualify the question. Where, where, is he, where is he in his body? He still is in a physical body. He's still human. He was resurrected from the dead. He's truly God, but he still is truly human. Where did the body go? Where is Jesus? He's sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And from heaven, when we confess in the Lord Jesus Christ, he sends the Holy Spirit. And in that way, he is with us. Jesus comes into our hearts. But in his human body that once walked the earth, it is now sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Where is your hope? It's in heaven. Notice that that Paul, the hope isn't, although this is part of our Christian hope, but Paul doesn't say that the hope is you will go to heaven when you die. That happens. I'm, I'm not denying that. But that's not what Paul says. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. What is waiting for you in heaven? Your inheritance, the presence of God, but ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ who will one day return. That is the hope. And that motivates faith and love. And so... They had heard of this hope when they heard the truth. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before. And Paul's not telling them anything new. They're Christians. They believe these things. They heard it when Epaphras told them. You heard it before. The word of truth, the gospel. Some translations might say the word of truth, which is the gospel, or the word of truth uh, of the gospel. But what ultimately is the truth. There are a lot of truths out there. You know, two plus two equals four. That's a truth. What is the truth that Paul is talking about? I don't put my hope of my salvation that two plus two equals four. I put it in Jesus, in the gospel message that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and rose again from the dead. But that is hope, and it is true hope, right? We talk a lot in our, in our day and age about hope. I hope this happens. I hope this comes to pass. I hope one day I can go on a cruise. I hope uh, that I can go to Disney World. My kids at one time said they hoped they could get a dog, and they got a dog now just the other day. Uh, it's been a big, big to-do. But that hope doesn't do anything for us. If I, if I say to you, uh, or let me put it to you this way, if, if you were in the hospital, I would not do this. But you would not want me to come to you and say, you know, baseball season started. Don't worry. We hope that the Phillies win this year. Uh, or this is the year for the Cubs. I can feel it. We, we hope that they win. What is that? that that's a hope, right? That, but that's a dream. That's a, that's, a, that's a wish. Do we treat Jesus like that when we say, well, I hope that he's in heaven. I hope that this gospel thing is real. No, this is hope that is grounded upon truth. It's grounded upon certain things that has happened. It matters and it is of value because of the one that we're putting our hope in. People have hope in a lot of different things. People have faith in a lot of different things. But that faith and hope needs to be 
in the person of Jesus Christ. In our day and age, faith has become kind of an empty term. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter who you believe in, as long as you're a person of faith. It's kind of akin to being a, as long as you're a positive thinker, as long as you hope that things will work out in the end and you, you keep positive thoughts, that's good enough for your life. That is not grounded on truth. That is not something that you can take to the bank. Well, I hope everything works out in the end. Uh, I hope I can make ends meet. Uh, I hope that I get better. The positive, grounded hope that we have is in the truth of Jesus Christ who died and rose again and is now in heaven. And God wants us to be thankful when we see that hope in others. Let me say two things as we think about hope. First, God wants you to know that your hope is not misplaced and not in vain. Your hope is grounded in the truth. And we need to tell people the truth when we talk to them, when we share the gospel We need to be, as a church, as we think about going forward, what kind of church are we going to be like? We need to be one that is anchored in the truth. And and a very subtle way this happens is when uh, there's a technique in marketing called called the bait and switch. Maybe you heard of it, maybe you didn't, but it's just like what it sounds. Uh, In marketing, you, you bait someone, you promise them something, you offer them something, maybe a gimmick, maybe a prize, maybe something special, uh, if they come. And then when they get there, you switch it out and say, but what I really want to sell you or what I really want to give you is this. And and many people mean well when they do it. But at the end of the day, if you rigorously practice this, it can become and it often is deceptive. I bait the hook with one thing, but I really don't care about that thing. So I switch it when they get there in the hopes that they'll be lured by this, but then take this. We can't do that with the truth we can't bait the hook with something else and then once they get there sort of sneak it in the back door once they get there it it's it's fine to be attractive to people it's fine to be appealing but we also need to be up front that part of who we are is we're just going to try to the best of our abilities to rely on the word of god and that means being a people who are about the truth We'll do fun Easter egg hunts. We'll do fun picnics. We'll have a lot of great things. But we're never going to put those in place of the truth. And then when someone comes to that, switch it out and go, aha, we have the truth. Surprise, you didn't see that one coming. It doesn't work and it's not honoring to God. When was the last time, going back to our theme of prayer, that you prayed for someone and told them you were thankful that they were living according to the hope that they have in heaven. That, you could, that, that, that by the way that they were living their lives, you could see that their hope was real. That something had changed in them. That something was anchoring them down as they were going through a trial. I knew a, a woman, uh, and I, I've known her for a number of years. I still know her. And she told me a story about something that had happened eight or nine years ago before I knew her. And it had stuck with her. She was going through a time where her husband was an alcoholic. Terrible alcoholic. 
horrible. And she was a relatively new Christian, had only been a Christian about 10 years. And she had been a divorced before she became a Christian. And so she's going through this with her second husband, who also proclaimed to be a Christian. And she's struggling. And people are telling her, you really ought to get divorced. You really ought to let this guy go. He's, he's just a jerk. He's drunk. Nothing good can come of this. And, and the man, yeah, he was, he was drunk, but he hadn't done anything yet that would, would be a biblical reason for divorce. So I want to be careful how I portray this. And she told me later on that during that time, the person who was her pastor at the time, it wasn't me, had in some scenario, I don't even remember what it was, just said to her, I'm proud of you. He had known all she was going through. He had known uh, everything that, that she had come through. He had known how hard it was, how much she just wanted to do the right thing. This was a conviction that she would not have had before she was a Christian. She had already divorced someone. And he just said, he probably said a little more, but he basically said, I'm proud of you. And she told me that on at least two different occasions. And it was both times it was at least five years after he had told that to her. She will remember that till the day that she dies. Because someone noticed the faith that she had, the life change. She would tell me during some of those struggles that during those times her husband wasn't there and so Jesus had to be her spiritual husband. She had hope of the one who was in heaven and someone else thanked God for that and told her that they were proud of her and and it was like jet engine fuel poured into her spiritual life in terms of how it motivated her, in terms of how it kept her going. We need to thank other people or thank God for other people. And we don't need to brag about it. Oh, by the way, look how many people I'm praying for. But we do need to encourage other people by saying privately, maybe drop them a little note, Give them a hug on a Sunday and just whisper in their ear, I want you to know, I prayed for you. And not just that you prayed for them, because then then sometimes people are like, oh, wow, what do you think is going on wrong in my life? But I thank God for you. Lastly, gospel fruit comes from hearing and knowing the truth of the gospel. So look at verse 6, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. So he's talking about this hope. He's talking about the word of truth that produced this, which has come to you, the gospel, the word of truth, as indeed the whole world, in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day that you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. It's interesting to me that Christ, uh, Paul repeats the word truth twice in this passage, reminding us that these things are true. If these things are not true, we might as well pack it all in. It doesn't matter what we believe about the grace of God if it's not true. It doesn't matter what we believe about the gospel and, and Jesus Christ if it's not true. Christianity doesn't, um, Christianity isn't true because it works. 
meaning, well, it's just true to me and that's what I found to be helpful for my life. Christianity works. Jesus Christ can be trusted because he is true. The truth only bears fruit then where the truth is being heard. This gospel is spreading throughout the world. It's being shared. Various people going different places. That is happening today, right? Missionaries taking it places. And we hope that that we here as a church bear fruit. But we also need to realize we are not in competition with other churches, other missionaries, church planners, people all around the world. Wherever the gospel is bearing fruit, we should be thankful for it. Because it's not about me. It's not about what God is doing here or for me or what makes me look good. It's about God and the power of God and what He does. And how does He do it? People faithfully take the Word of God. They share it with others. And God promises to work through the truth. We don't need to bait and switch because the truth has enough power in the power of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, I'm just going to read these verses for you. Romans 10, verses 13 to 17. You probably know these verses well. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who prays to Jesus, accepts them, believes in him, they will be saved. And then Paul says, and how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How does this spiritual growth happen? How does this miracle of conversion happen? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Epaphras had to be sent. He had to take the word of God. If spiritual growth was going to happen in this church, Epaphras had to bring the word of God. If spiritual growth is going to happen in your life, in the life of our church, in other people's lives, someone has to bring the Word of God. We maybe have to bring it to someone that we know. Maybe we have to come on a Sunday so that we would regularly be hearing the Word of God. I shouldn't say maybe we have to do that. That's, that's a command in Scripture. But that's maybe one of the ways God spreads His Word to us or to others through the hearing of it. But faith comes from hearing. And what do we come to hear? What do people need to hear? Do they need to hear cute little stories? Do they need to to hear uh, funny little tales? Do do they need to hear um, just how great uh, we all are? No, they need to hear the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with a good illustration. There's nothing wrong with a little chuckle in a sermon. But what do we need to hear? The Word of God. And I worry that we live in a day and age that the Scriptures warned about, where people will be drawing every kind of preacher and speaker to themselves, only coming to hear what they already wanted to hear, coming into church and saying, well, this better give me what I need, rather than saying, 
God has something for me in my word, excuse me, in his word, and I need to hear it. We need to thank God when the word of God is proclaimed. And I'm not saying that to brag, but to boast in God because he will work through the word of God. And in turn, we need to thank God when that happens. Being thankful this morning as we conclude and expressing thanksgiving is going to be vital in the life of the church for energizing it. Paul says in Colossians 2.2 that he's, he's anxious over the church. He's longing for them to be knit together to know Jesus Christ more and more. And so what does he do when he writes this church? He doesn't start off with some of the problems that they have, although they did need some spiritual knowledge and wisdom and, and correction from Paul. He starts off in a way that is going to energize them. Here is Paul, the apostle, doesn't even know them, never met them. He's, in one sense, in the church, he's famous. And he wrote them. And not only did he write them, can you imagine someone that you look up to saying to you, I'm thankful for who you are. There are several people in my life that that when things go wrong, things get tough, I have occasionally at times thought, I cannot give up because I don't want to let them down. You know, they invested in me. I know they care about me. I know at various times they've prayed for me. And it energizes you. And it energizes you when that person that you look up to takes the time of day and they call you on the phone or they write you a letter or they say to you, I know what you're going through and I'm thankful that you're there or I'm thankful that you're encouraged or even as the one man said to his congregant, I'm proud of you. Be thankful for other Christians in that same way. And be so courageous in your thanksgiving for them that you're talking to God in prayer about it. And then you're telling them, I'm thankful that you're here today. I'm proud of you. I'm grateful. Maybe it's someone older than you that you look up to or more spiritually mature. Maybe it's someone younger. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a teenager. And you just say, you know, I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're coming to church. I'm proud that you're reading your Bible. Because they look up to you. And that will energize them. When there is love going on around, there isn't that sort of hierarchy that I'm better than all of you and you need to look up to me. Or you're better than me and, 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 and you shouldn't ever talk to me. There is mutual prayer and mutual encouragement. Let's close in a, in a word of prayer. Close our sermon in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, we just pray that we would be energized today, that we would be uh, encouraged. We ask that you would uh, work in our hearts, work in our lives, work in the, the life of this church. Uh, be with us. Remind us through your Spirit that, that when we grow in faith and love, that is all on you. That is all you're doing. 
And we thank you for that. And we thank you just for the word of God that you've given us, that we all have copies of the Bible and we can open it publicly today and gather here together, not in secret, and share the word of God and share in the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ who died for us. In your name we pray. Amen.